All right, welcome to episode 51 of Seize the Moment podcast, and today we have a very special guest. His name is Suleiman Jenkins. He's earned his MA in TESOL from NYU Steinhardt School of Education. He's been in the field of ELT, most notably in Saudi Arabia, for more than 14 years. Suleiman does research in sociolinguistics, contrastive rhetoric, language, and culture. He's contributed to academia by way of publishing numerous articles in top peer-reviewed journals, and he helped ghostwrite Muda Beale's new book, Life is Raw. Welcome, Suleiman. Thank you very much, Rose. Nice hey, to meet you. And thank you so much yeah, for coming. <laughs> what was that? I'm glad to be on. Glad to be on the show. Awesome, man. Glad we're so happy. Yep, so happy to have you on. So, I mean, of yeah. course, the first thing that we're going to kind of ask, right, is about Muda's book. And so the first question yeah. for us is going to be, what was it like to work on it? And what were some of the, I guess, most important parts of it or the most sort of important lessons that you took away from it? Well, you know, uh, that's a loaded question. It's, it's, it's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things behind that. So in order to understand what went into the book, you have to understand uh, my relationship with Muta. Right. Um and in order to understand my relationship with Muta, we have to take it back to my college days and me, you know, being in Brooklyn and growing up with the Outlaws and Pac, mm-hmm. you know, um, even though we're from Brooklyn, you know, I had a bunch of uh, Puerto Rican homies who were, um, you know, they're b- big into Pac. So there was no, there was no, no East Coast, West Coast um, friction. You know, we had a lot of love for, for Pac uh, out in, um, out in uh, Brooklyn. And also, um, you know, for me personally, I, you know, I grew up without my father. So Pac for me was a real uh, role model in many ways. Um, and I modeled my life after him, you know, uh, taking a lot of pride in being black, being a black male, um, trying to make sense of, you know, why does society have certain perceptions of me? Um, he made those things kind of clear. Um, so I had an affinity for Pac. And then when he brought along the outlaws, it was like, okay, now I got these guys that are my age, you know, you know, basically, you know, expressing things that I would, you know, want to be uh, expressing. I, I, you know, they were my, they were my voice. So among the my favorite ones was Mutar, mm-hmm. Napoleon. He was one of my favorite ones, right? Um, fast forward, that was in the college, like in the 90s. Fast forward to 2006, uh, I come to Saudi, um, and I meet him, you know, through a friend, a mutual friend. Huh. Um, and you know, I'm a huge fan of his, you know, but. Now we're brothers, you know, we're Muslim brothers. Um, you know, at the time he took, uh, he took Shahada, he's a, he's a Muslim. You know, I returned to my religion. Um, and so we meet as brothers and, you know, in the beginning, you know, I'm not gonna be a, 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 you know, groupie fan and, you know, just, you know, you know, uh, uh, call him up all the time, things like that. So, you know, we just had a, a regular relationship. Um, but in the past, like four years, we became a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, we became business partners and things like that. And then he, uh, uh, finished the documentary last year, right? And so one of the comments underneath was, um, you know, we need to, uh, we're just waiting for your book. Where's your book coming out? Mm-hmm. So I, I pulled him to the side, I'm like, Mutal, I'm like, you know, what's, what's up? You know, and he's like, yeah, I did a book before, and I read it, and I was like, Mutal, um, I'm like, no, this book doesn't do you any justice. It doesn't do justice mm-hmm. to your life, it doesn't do justice to uh, anything, really. Um, I mean, you know, may, may, you know know made the guy be you know compensated for his efforts i'm sure he you know it was about 100 pages i'm sure he did a you know as good as he can do but it just, just didn't do any justice i said look you know we bros you know um i am uh, i've been fortunate and blessed to uh have uh, gained academic tools to really present your story in a way that pr- probably hasn't been presented ever before um uh because when you have stories about rappers 
that usually involves drugs, you know, uh, very in disparate uh, situations, um, you know, and things like that. And I would, I wouldn't look at it from that perspective. I'm going to present your, uh, um, you know, I'm going to present your story as an, an examination, not just of your life, but your life in the context of historical things that was happening at the time, cultural things that happened in the time. Uh, what are the themes in your life that I see linking to other things that happen in society, like police brutality? Wow. Um, what are the mental health issues that I see? That I hear all the things that you're going through. These are obviously traumatic things. So I said, would you allow me to incorporate, integrate all those things? In book. He's like, man, we boys, man. It's all good. I, I trust where you're at. You know, um, and then I had to show him, you know, where I was uh, academically. I've been fortunate, like I said, to publish in a number of, uh, you know, very selective journals. Um, so my level of writing and research is, 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 is you know, it's pretty up there. Um, and I was like, you know, if that's what, if you're ready to do it, let's do it. And so, you know, um, so we, we agreed to it and we, um, you know, we, we got to it. So um, basically the whole approach was, you know, without without Mutar, I could write the book. You know, to be perfect in terms of if it's just a study of his life, because I know so much about his life, I know so much about Pac, I know so much about the outlaws, but that wouldn't do any justice, uh, to be perfectly honest. And it wouldn't, it would, it would only go but so far. Having him as his authentic voice in the book, you know, um, having the insight that he has, the closeness that he had to Pac, we know how close Pac was with the outlaws, um, and he was very close with, of all of them, he's very close with uh, uh, Napoleon. Um, you know, his voice in the book just adds a whole layer of authenticity um, that just raises the credibility of the level. So when you combine his authenticity with my research skills, and, you know, we pulled from maybe, I pulled from about 125 uh, sources, um, different wow. magazines, you know, newspapers, uh, uh, interviews with, with people. Yeah. Um, so y you can't say that the book is just Mutaz's opinion. Mm -hmm. Or it's just me just talking. No, I mean, you want to cross-reference these stories, go ahead and check it out, you know. Um, so, yeah, so we basically, you know, we over the past uh, few months, we've just been going back and forth. You know, I'd write something, show it to him, see what he likes. He'd tell me, you know, okay, this is this is how I recount that actual story that you've come across in research, this and this and that. And, you know, and then after that, you know, we, um, you know, the, the book, you know, is finished. And hopefully it can be out to the public for you guys to consume. You know, but it was a very uh, unbelievable process. Um, we were able to do, I think, a lot, accomplish a lot of things, um, mental health issues. Uh, we were able to clarify some things uh, that maybe most people didn't know about. Um, I think for me it was therapy because I was in the mix of all of that stuff, the East Coast, West Coast beef. Mm -hmm. You know, for me it became clear, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a clarity, you know, for me about, you know, what exactly transpired how there really wasn't any any real underlying problems between Biggie and Tupac, but it was just a huge misunderstanding that just blew up out of control. Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, it led to basically the death of two of the greatest, you know, lyrical rappers of all time, you know. So, you know, um, the book really, it touches on so many different uh, things, and I really hope that's going to be, you know, the treasure treasure chest for, for, for readers. They're going to look into it and be like, wow, I didn't expect to know that. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect to find that and things like that, you know, so... You know, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds unbelievably thorough, especially compared to the book that came out about uh, Muta before. I mean, yeah. the other one was like more stereotypical, like like you said, like the rap and kind of drug game and all that. Mm -hmm. But this actually right. goes deep into his life, the the Absolutely. context of what's going on in society. Um, exactly. Also, 
I, I love that. I didn't know that there was a misunderstanding between the beef of uh, Biggie. Yeah, and I Tupac. actually didn't know that. Either. I, I didn't. I had no clue. I thought there was a legitimate beef. So that's yeah. actually cool. It's like yeah. a media thing, probably. Right? Yeah. I mean, there was there was there was beef, but the beef, you know, it transpired from misunderstanding, and it transpired from you know, basically just things being taken out of control. I mean, taken out of context. Things being, um, you know, from both sides. You know, um, you know, basically, you know, um, you know, Pac was very loyal to big um and uh big was you know he's also loyal to him uh in many ways as well but certain things happen and you know if you know so for instance when when pa, and i can't go into too many details but when pa got shot mm-hmm. in new york you know you, you can't imagine like i'm your boy and i'm in new york and you're supposed to be the king of new york and this happens on your watch and nobody mm-hmm. knows about anything you know what i mean so and then it's not like puffy and big rushed to, you know, basically say, you know, okay, you know, we have anything. I mean, they did say we don't have anything to do with it, but it's, but basically, Pac felt like they didn't really rush to come to his aid, you know. And he's like, he's a loyal dude, so he's like, you know, I'm with boys. Like, how you how you not gonna go out for me? And I'm on, you know, if you came out to the to the west, we would have had you. You know what I mean? So, Damn. the the lack of communication in that whole situation just so he he's already feeling like, okay, something something's not right here, hmm. and then that that uh that that lack of clarity just ballooned you know it just ballooned and then you know um you know things just got things just got out of hand you know um and uh, yeah so uh, um yeah we have a lot of you know uh basically just first-hand accounts from uh Mutal about that whole you know that whole uh, transformation you know and how things um you know how things escalated and unfortunately you know basically i present in a book like this was an unfortunate situation, you know, it didn't have to escalate to that. You know, you end up losing, you know, two very, very, very influential, you know, people, not just in rap, not just for black America, but just, you know, for America and for the world, you know, so, and over what? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right, and you also talk about uh, Muta's uh, personal losses in his life, right? Uh, what happened yeah. to his parents, yeah. Um, yeah. how he was raised by his yeah. grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I can actually go back to the title, right? Mm-hmm. So the title is Life is Raw, right? Mm-hmm. When I'm, a lot of the things that, about Mutaz's life, I didn't know. Uh, I always, always knew that he was a he was a raw dude, you know. <laughs> just in his lyrics, his lyrics, you know, I was just like, how is this dude this young saying this kind of stuff? Like this dude must have been through it. So when I learned, you know, the the details, you know, that his mother and father were killed, murdered in front of him at such a young age and things like that, um, I was like, this dude, his life is raw. I mean, it's just this, this is just this is as raw as you get. Um, and so I, I suggest them, can we make the title Life is Raw? But, you know, I'm also a writer. I'm also an author and, and I'm also creative. So I said, let's not make the let's not make the raw with the typical R. Mm-hmm. Let's flip it. Mm-hmm. Let's make the R backwards as a, as, as a, a Russian, a Russian R. Mm-hmm. This way you can interpret the meaning as life is raw or life is war. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Life is war. Um, because that is essentially what I saw his life is just this absolute struggle from the cradle and in some cases until now, but definitely from the cradle up until the time he uh, converted to Islam. It's just nothing but nonstop uh, battles, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, physically, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so for him, not only was his life raw, but it also was war, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the way it is for a lot of people, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, that's one of the backdrops of the book. Is that this is not just this is not just a book of Mutaz's life. This is a book that we hope to project 
to anybody who's struggling. Right. You know, white, black, you know, African American, um, you know, uh, Jew, Christian. You know, it doesn't matter when you if you are struggling in life, you will be able to find something from the book. Um, and so, um, yeah, going through his life, I mean, it's just it's just it's just full of tragedy in the very beginning. You know, his he's he, you know his his parents are murdered in front of him. Uh, then he has his grandmother, uh, you know, raise him, and she does the best job that she can. Um, but then she ends up dying, and um, she dies, like, I think when he's around 17, 18. And then he has this cascade of just death, right, where his grandmother dies, and she's an influencer. She's like, that's like, imagine you have a tree, and a root is just, uh, and a, a root is just pulled out of it, right? No. And then a few months later, Pac dies. So another main root is pulled from it. And then Gaddafi dies. So that's another main root. Pope, like, how can, how can a human being suffer so much in such a short period of time and not lose their mind? You know what I mean? How, you know, that's, that's, you know, so for me, you know, it's a tremendous uh, ode to him. And it's, it's very commendable for him to be the way he is, to have suffered. And that's just, you know, those people. There are other people that died. For instance, his brother died as well during this, this, this time. Right. You know, so for somebody to go through such tragedy at such a young age, it always happened before he was like 19, before he was 20. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he's in the formative times of his life, mm-hmm. you know, where he needs mm-hmm. support. He needs, you know, he still doesn't know who he is at, th- at this age, you know, and all the support networks that he has is, is, is not there. You know what I mean? So for me, man, it was it was uh, it was just commendable and inspirational to, to hear him talk about these things. And, you know, he still has a smile on his face. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I mean, yeah, obviously it's painful, but, you know, he made it through. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's um, that was really, really, you know, before. Yeah, and so since you know a lot of what we focus on here is mental health, the main aspect, or what, let me not say the main aspect, one of the main aspects that sort of attracted me to the book was when you and I kind of in kind of our personal dialogue right. talked about what it was, what it means to have what's called post-traumatic growth. And so just before mm-hmm. we kind of delve into that topic, I really want to define it for our audience. Mm-hmm. So last sure. week, last week we had Scott Barry Kaufman on, and so Scott has this really great definition in his book. So I want to read it to you, Solomon, and kind of get your take on it, and obviously put it in context too with what it's like. Okay, so um, so this is in Scott's chapter on exploration. So he wrote, in fact, in fact, many who experience trauma, such as being diagnosed with a chronic or terminal illness, losing a loved one, or experiencing sexual assault, not only show incredible resilience, but actually thrive in the aftermath of the traumatic event. Studies show that the majority of trauma survivors do not develop PTSD, and a large number even report growth from their experience. So he termed post-traumatic growth, and he pretty much defined it as the positive psychological change that is experienced as a result of the struggle with highly challenging life circumstances. So these seven areas of growth have been reported to spring from adversity. Greater appreciation of life, greater appreciation and strengthening of close relationships, um, increased compassion and altruism, Mm -hmm. the identification of new possibilities or purpose in life, greater awareness and utilization of personal strengths, enhanced enhanced spiritual development, which definitely applies here and creative growth which definitely applies here so my question for you solomon is in terms of that definition right how in your book uh, how well in your book and obviously in your kind of dialogues of muda how have you kind of witnessed muda exemplify those characteristics of post-traumatic growth in the context of his struggles well that's a, a, a amazing question i mean his uh, post-traumatic growth i would say it it would uh it would have undergone two main phases right so i don't know where this is in the literature of, of uh, uh, is it Dr. Kaufman or Mr. Kaufman? Dr. Kaufman. I don't know where this is in literature, but basically 
he explained to me in a number of times that his way of dealing with the trauma was through alcohol. Damn. So it was substance abuse. Um, that was the only way he, he had so much pain that he had to numb it, essentially. Right. And the only way he could numb it was, you know, through, you know, through substance abuse. Right. Um, so I think that and violence. Hmm. So what's an amazing story or a theme without the book, which you'll see, is that when uh, Mutah has these traumatic moments in his life, the first thing he thinks about is violence. Like, the, like when his grandmother died, he was in the room of Gaddafi, and the first thing he does is he gets a gun. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if my, oh, he, oh, no, sorry, not when, when his grandmother died, when he heard that his mother, his grandmother was on her deathbed, he said, if my grandmother dies, basically, I'm going to go out and I'm going to hurt somebody. Yeah. So that, for me, was amazing that that's his reaction, that was his reaction to, uh, you know, trauma at the time. Not only that, uh, once Pac died, um, him and Gaddafi went back to Irvington, and they just went back to the street life. They found solace in, you know, violence, being on the streets, beating people up, you know, have, you know so um, his first or immediate, uh, I say, phase of post-traumatic uh, dealings was turned into things that were destructive, right? Um, and I don't know where that is in the literature, um, um, but it basically, that phase lasted too long for him where he realized that if I... Uh, sustain this I'm going to destroy myself and when it got to that point where he realized um, I'm not you know I, I can't I can't go on like this or else I'm going to die or I'm going to kill somebody one or the other right. um, then he really started to to appreciate uh, life basically and he really started to look for a purpose in life and he didn't realize that it was going to be spirituality he didn't realize that um because he never grew he, you know he had some of it in with his grandmother his grandmother's christian yep. so they, they grew up with um i mean he was born muslim but he, he grew up in a christian household and she was you know very um you know very adamant about making sure they had god in their life and things like that um but he wasn't really that wasn't really what he was searching for until you know circumstances happened and he met a guy named uh mikhail camille and you know he sort of you know, reintroduced him to, uh, you know, Islamic spirituality. And then that ended up being phase two, where he found his purpose in uh, spirituality. You know, he found his purpose in, um, you know, uh, just trying to be a good person and trying to do positive things, you know. And that transformation, that wasn't, it basically took him to the brink of death for him to get to that point, which is amazing. Yeah, amazing. And and not just I'm not talking about physical death. I'm not talking about just emotion. He, he said on so many times, like, you know, he he just went crazy. He's like there's a five year period of his life. He doesn't remember because of how much alcohol he consumed. He does not remember five years of his life because there wasn't a day for those five years where he wasn't, you know, inebriated. And I'm like, wow, that's just, you know, but that's that's the reality. That's not just his reality. That's the reality of how many millions of people go through the same thing. Right. You know, so, you know. And it's like, yeah. so when in Scott's book, he talked about kind of Abraham Maslow's experiences. And so this is, you know, kind of for our audience, the person who is the founder of the hierarchy of needs. And so sure. he kind of, the way he sort of termed it is that, um, well, not even just in terms of post-traumatic growth, but just kind of in terms of the way life goes, that eventually when you kind of, but it could obviously happen through trauma, right? But what happens sure. is as a person kind of gets older, they realize these all of these little things in life that all, that initially seemed like they were sort of seemingly um, sort of irrelevant or just insignificant. The 
person kind of finds joy in them, right? So it's not like a peak experience where you're like on ecstasy or on cloud nine, sure. but it's pretty much sure. the idea that like I can find beauty in the ordinary. And so what exactly. happens a lot is, um, so this is not from Scott's literature, this is kind of from kind of my own work, mm -hmm. is that when people yeah. experience trauma, and it seems like for Mu, it was like for him, he had to, rock bottom wasn't even necessarily the deaths of his parents or let's say even the death of his grandma. It was even beyond that. So yeah. sometimes what happens is when people feel like they've actually hit rock bottom, it's like, it's this black and white thing, right? Where they kind of, they're on a seesaw, where once they finally hit rock bottom and they realize what it is to be in hell, for them, like the right. world as it was before actually appears like heaven. So they kind of go right. from like, oh my God, like this is like so tormenting and this is so horrible, right? That these things exactly. that I had before, like they were actually beautiful in contrast. And so exactly. sometimes when people kind of hit rock bottom, what they see is it's not that there's a heaven in the sense of um, like paradise on earth, right? It's not like I can create heaven in a way that's like, let's say, um, uh, ethereal or kind of, let's say, you know, sure. uh, you know, kind of heavenly in the sense of like in a biblical sense, but it's like, sure. no, 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 sure. I can actually create heaven, right? In the ordinary. And let's say, exactly. and kind of being a good person, right? Um, and exactly. sort of even being a business owner, right? Like starting a coffee shop, starting a barbecue yeah. business, being an important exactly. member of my community, um, being a spiritual guide or a spiritual leader, a therapist, a writer, a teacher, right? Yeah. So sometimes yeah. what people find out is all of those things that may have at one time seemed like pretty boring were actually the things exactly. that make life more meaningful. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, one of the, the themes toward, as he's making his transformation is that he begins to appreciate sobriety, mm -hmm. you know, because when he is trying to search for these answers, he realizes that if you're drunk all the time, you really can't think clearly. So he really, so you want to talk about simple things, he just appreciated the ability to think critically. That was one of the main things that uh, Mikhail was able to uh, help him uh, come back to, is just the ability to think critically and think about life. Think about what you're doing. Don't just react emotionally to things because that's going to lead you, you know, down a path that you may not want it to, to be. So he began to just appreciate the ability to, to, to think as a rational human being, you know, um, and that allowed him to also cut down, you know, heavily on alcohol consumption, you know. So, um, yeah, this this idea of uh, being able to appreciate the simple things of life, is it's 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 necessary when you have experienced basically, like you said, the hell on earth. You experience every negative thing you could possibly imagine. You know, you can find that you, you appreciate the, the simple things that are given to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, when you want to see something clearly, I mean, the thing is, if you're looking through the filter of alcohol, through substance abuse, um, right. it, it's like you, you want to take that off. There's, there's this exactly. urge when you have had so much pain that you want to be able to remove all these things that's that's keeping you from seeing reality clearly yeah. right exactly. there's this exactly. point where you're like okay enough i'm not i'm not doing this anymore that it, exactly. it gets to that level of suffering where it's it's the, the level of determination that someone could experience like uh mood did mm -hmm. it's exactly. i mean not everyone is lucky enough to have that but for exactly. the people that do Exactly. The, what they turn into is unbelievable, and the man he is exactly. today, exactly, it's it's exactly. it's beyond who he used to be. Right, and and then exactly. and then also I would add just like in terms of the suffering that the kind of it's a mask, right? So the mask that kind of um sort of uh, let's say the mask that alleviates in some way the suffering. Eventually, the person realizes that in the long term, it actually causes more suffering than it actually alleviates or mitigates. Do you feel like that's what exactly. happened with Muda? Like he had this kind of a hot experience where kind of he got the picture like, holy shit, like not only was I suffering tremendously before, but now I'm even suffering exponentially more by the way I'm living. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, you mean before he, he transformed to Islam? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I mean, he, he 
I mean, and that's the other that's the other theme too, and you know, because we have a lot of different audiences for the book, um, and and one of them is celebrities, you know. So we're going at celebrities because Mutal had everything. I mean, you have everything at you. You have money, you have fame, you have everything, but you know, his uh, mental and emotional makeup was just so fraught, you know, with just misery, you know, that um, yeah, basically he he was just in a downward spiral towards destruction, you know, and there was there was the the more fame. And money was only going to increase that. It was only going to increase him in destruction, you know. So basically, he didn't find any way out. He he had to find a way out because otherwise, he saw that he was going, he was going to hit, you know, destruction at a, you know, at, you know, with a, at a at a fast pace, you know. Absolutely. Right. So like they gave him yeah. the tools, right? Kind of like uh, I'm sure yeah. you you remember All Eyes on Me. Um. So um, the movie, right? So you remember like where yeah. so Afini says to Pac in the movie, she says pretty much she's like they're going to give you the tools you need to destroy yourself. Right, right so, exactly. so it's kind of like that. So where the celebrity was just for him, right? More so, or maybe there was some part of him that was looking for love, but there was this other part that used it, like kind of used the celebrity as access, right? To access to use these tools, sure. right? That kind of obviously helped him even, sure. unfortunately, feel worse than he already was. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a sad, you know, position to be in, but it's the reality for a lot of people. You know, it's a reality for a lot of people. And, that, and we want to basically shed light on the fact that there is a, there are ways out you know it may not necessarily be um you know through islam or you know spiritually but there are ways for you to um search for options search for uh ways that can uh, bring a healthy change to your life um and for mata i mean you know he basically had no other he had no other option he had, he, had, he, had, he had tried everything you know um to try to get out of it, but he just couldn't find, he couldn't find any, anything that made sense. The only thing that made sense to him at the time was spirituality and spirituality, uh, you know, in Islam. Um, and, um, you know, where he is now, as you, as you mentioned, as a person, it's like night and day, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is it's like, kind of like a joke between me and him is that, you know, when he went to the mosque that first day, that smile that you see with him now, you know, th that's the smile that he's had. He hasn't he hasn't stopped smiling from that day at the mosque. Before that, the dude. I mean, look at him on BET interviews. He's like, you know, I mean, his whole, his, I mean, you know, he's just, you know, just a cold, hard dude. You know, I mean, that's that's you know, that's part of the persona. I get it. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you know, you know, Pac was a hard, you know, dude. But he was also sensible. He was also compassionate. He was also, I mean, you got a sense that he was, you know. He 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 had emotion. He had a you know he he felt with, with Napoleon man. It was just, it seemed like everything was just it was just raw. You know what I mean? Um, and you know he was finally able to find you know um, that compassionate side of him. You know and that you know that love inside of him. Um, and it, you know it, it's come out in many ways. And now I mean you know one of the things I say at the end of the book is I said that you know people ask me why did I why did I decide to write a book or why would I think the book is uh, important. Because I said I, you have to put Mutaz's life in book form, because you have to you have to read his life in a book because you couldn't read his life on his face. Right. Basically, you couldn't read on it on his smiles. You wouldn't be able to tell all these things that happened. You'd be you'd be, you'd see, you'd be like you'd be absolutely shocked. Right. You know what I mean? So I had to put it in book form. People to see, look behind those smiles, it's tremendous tragedy. You need to understand. And so for me, you know, this whole process has given me a lot of appreciation for people in general, because you just don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's behind a person's smiles. You don't know what suffering they've gone through to get to that point. You know, you, don't, you, just, you just don't know, you know. So, um, you know, it's a hat off to him, man, to, to, to um, you know, to, 
uh, surmount all of that and, you know, be productive and, you know, like you said, be entrepreneurial, have business. And he also, his main goal in life is to help people make it out of the rut that he was in for his life and that they don't have to go there. You know, there are ways out, you know. Yeah, and I just want to share a personal story about Mo. So he's actually like a really dope person. I know, kind of like it's sometimes Absolutely. hard. Yeah, it's sometimes hard for people, kind of, because they're like, "Oh, well, is like, is that the celebrity? Is that like the mask? Is that like the yeah. person that we're just yeah. seeing?" So, uh, so we had him on for the first time in October, and so unfortunately, yeah. on, on our end, we kind of screwed up, and we had like um tech issues where so we were supposed yeah. to have the video and the audio portion for the podcast, and so we only yeah. ended up with the audio portion, which obviously kind wow. of sucked. Yeah. So and right. I and I I hit him up, and I was like, "Yo, look, man." like i'm so sorry like you know this is all on us like we fucked this up you know i'm just yeah. I, I i just i feel really bad like i don't know what else to say right his yeah. response was just perfect man it was just like holy yeah. shit so he says to yeah. me he's like dude don't even worry about that man he's like everything yeah. happens for, for a reason he's like look That's if you right. want he's like yo we could reshoot the whole thing i was like what he's like, i was like what i was like no no no, we're good we're good i was like it's a podcast it's okay so it's fine that we just have the audio but i was like yo holy shit man his response was just so awesome and for us yeah. we were new at the time you know and like right, right. For, for for us at the time he was our biggest guest right yeah or one of the right. biggest guests still is so yeah, right. yeah. so right. you, you know so it's like when you don't want to ask him to do it again right but the sure, fact that sure. he offered something like that kind of sure. shows like sure. how magnanimous he is like how good of a guy exactly. he is yeah exactly. exactly and that's that's the main thing man you know if i had this if i had this some uh mutab, you know and one word it'd be he's, he's all love man at the end of the day you know and i see that from Pac as well um, you know, that he was really misrepresented in many ways to be a thug and be, a, you know, just, you know, uh, cold hearted and inconsiderate and things. And that's just not I mean, my interaction with Mutar and him telling me the stories of how Pac was. These are the stories that will be in the book that should shed light on him, the compassionate side of him that, yeah, he, he's he has nothing but love. He had nothing but love for bigs. He had nothing but love for the East Coast. He had nothing but love for black people. He has nothing but love for women, mm-hmm. and, you know, in terms of just respect and things like that. You know what I mean? Um, but unfortunately he was mischaracterized, he was misrepresented and that came back to, to sort of change him, you know, where, you know, he's like, look, I'm, I'm, you know, I got nothing but love for black people, but look, it wasn't, it wasn't a white person that shot me. You know, I got shot by black people, you know, I got nothing but love for, you know, uh, my women, but look, you know, who, look who's got me in, in jail. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's a black female, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of times people, um, Unfortunately, especially with the media, you know, they're misrepresented and, you know, um, you don't really get to the core of a person, you know, um, and that's really sad because, you know, um, you know, you, you just you just miss out on opportunity. And so, again, uh, Mutal, hopefully through this book, people will see, you know, the real side of him. Now, yes, he, he was all of that. He was one of the hardest soldiers, you know, for Pac, riding and dying for him. And, you know, and, you know, even to this day, you know, don't 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 mess with him. You know, don't take it to that level. But at the same time, he's got nothing but love. He's got a lot of love to give. You know, if you keep it real with him and keep it real with you, I've seen it a number of times. You know, this guy's a celebrity, yet he will talk to anybody. You know, uh, we're in the malls, say salams to everybody, take a picture to anybody. Um, You know, people come to his coffee shop. He talks to everybody, you know, says hello to everybody. You know, he's not he doesn't have this you know, um, this idea that he's above anybody, you know, and that's, that really, you know, that's really, uh, commendable, man. You know, it's really commendable. Yeah. And can you speak a little bit more about the compassionate side of Pac? I mean, just, you know, just the, the way, I, you know, for me again, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm a huge, you know, Pac fan and in many ways for me, like I said, it was therapeutic for me to, 
you know, to, to write about, because I feel in many ways, if this book becomes uh, historic, which I hope it really does, and if it becomes uh, epic, I hope that um, I, I feel that I would have given Pac his justice. You know, I would have presented Pac in the way that he would have been, he would have wanted to be represented. Um, things like when he first met, met Mu, you know, here's a man on top of his game, you know what I mean? And he meets Mu, hears his story, and he's, he's shedding tears. Like, what man, what man is going to do that? You know what I mean? You, you know, you, you meet a stranger, you hear about his story, and, you know, he, he's younger than you, yet you are humble enough and you, you're, you are touched enough where, you know, you shed a tear. You know what I mean? Um, also, when he was in New York, uh, you know, the story about, you know, um, and this, this is something you can find on the Internet, um, at the height of the East Coast, West Coast beef, you know, he's out in New York throwing out money. Giving money to people like I got nothing but love for y'all. I got it's it's not a, it's not an East Coast West Coast thing. I got love. It's nothing but you know love. Um, and then just the genuine care that him and his mother Feeney um, that they showed Muta and the outlaws. You know, just having them stay in the house. Um, you know, the care that that Pac had for the outlaws in terms of their business sense, their acumen. You know, always keeping them you know on point. You know, not letting them um, not letting them. Uh, uh, What's the word? Um, not letting them be uh, misled to think that, you know, the life of being a rapper is just all, you know, glamour and no, 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 um, you know, it's no hard work. No, you got to work hard. I work hard on my craft. You have to perfect it. You know, so he was really trying to teach these guys to be men. You know, he's really he was really he was just a really, um, you know, compassionate dude. And hopefully that that will come out, you know, that will come out in the, um, you know, in the book. Hopefully that that, that image will be very clear to, to everybody, you know. And what was so dope was that you actually also got to work with Young Noble on the book. So kind of for our audience, I, yeah, so for, yeah. for our audience, right, so Young Noble was actually an intimate and kind of an important part of the book as well, right? Obviously, it's a yeah. book about Muda's yeah. life, but he contributed significantly too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? He did. Yeah, Young Noble was my man. He's, he's, uh, he's a real cool dude, man. Um, you know, when I reached out to him to be a part of it, he was very receptive right from the jump. Um, we would spend hours, uh, literally hours, you know, just talking about things. Uh, you know, it's funny because, like I said, Mutar, you know, there's a five-year uh, gap in his life where he doesn't remember. So what would happen is I would write things and then, um, you know, I would shoot them to Nova and be like, look, uh, this is where you're coming in the book in terms of his life. You know, and he'd be like, oh, no, 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 it didn't happen like that. I wasn't like, <laughs> He's like, what the hell are we talking about? Where, where is he at? So, so so he was important to, to clarify a lot of things, uh, particularly like, you know, uh, later on, with, you know, with, with pocket like details and things like that, like uh, time frames and things like that. Um, and basically the whole point, again, of bringing him in, as we brought in a lot of people, we brought in Young Noble, we brought in Young, uh, Wack Deuce, uh, Steve Lobel, uh, Storm, um, Trape Alain, uh, Mikhail, um, uh, Hasachi. So the idea was that you know, all these first-hand accounts, they add authenticity, they add a level of authenticity to the whole story. You know, it's not just what I think, it's not just what we're talking about. Well, what, what do other people think about him? And, and, and I want their, you know, I want their, uh, their words, you know, before and after. How was it with him and how was it afterwards? And so, yeah, Young Noble, you know, he, he, that's my man. He was, it was a priceless uh, addition to the book. Um, it really added, you know, it really added... Uh, you know, like I said, a, la a layer of credibility and authenticity that the book, you know, is just, is just going to make it that much more uh, impactful, you know. Um, and he's, he's a cool dude, man. You know, he's a cool dude.
I remember reading that little story that you guys had up on Instagram about um, how kind of Muto was screwing up business deals at the time. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I felt that, man. I was like, oh, man, I remember even doing stuff like that when I was younger, like screwing shit up yeah, for my friends. And I was like, oh, God, I felt that. It was great. I mean, yeah, he had a lot of stories, man. And, you know, one of the one of the, the funny things, man, is that, you know, I mean, the, the, the downloads, I mean, they were very tight. But his behavior, like we said in the, in the excerpt, his behavior got so bad yeah. that they didn't even want to be out with him. These are celebrities at the top up top of the game. They did not want to go out with him because they're like, this dude is gonna get us in a fight. Any anywhere we go, we're gonna have to fight. And I'm not trying to fight tonight. I'm trying to chill. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know. So um, so it was refreshing for, for me to get those kind of you know those kind of stories and insights into you know just how life was with Matar. You know, and they were all you know starting with Noble. They were all very um, very shocked. You know, at the transition that he made, and they were very supportive. You know, very appreciative of the fact that he made. A tremendous change in his life for the better, you know, because they all saw it. They said that the writing was on the wall, man. This guy was going to be either dead or in jail, you know, because he's just wilding out, you know. So it was good, like I said, it was good to get Young Noble's um, uh, perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, and I wonder if for Muda, like that, kind of the loss or the potential of that loss was also kind of a springboard for change. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes that happens, like, um, especially when people kind of are dealing with drugs or alcoholism, when they actually start losing people, those real life consequences, those are the springboards yeah. to change. It's like until they yeah. actually have anything like concretely happen, they're like, ah, whatever, I could kind of keep doing what I was doing. Huh. Right. Exactly. I mean, he became, I mean, you know, death for him, it, you know, it, it, it's, it almost lost its, um, it almost, towards the end, it almost lost a shock. You know, it was just like, okay, what's, what's new? Like, are you serious? Because then, I mean, after, after, uh, after, um, his, after his grandmother died, Pac died, Gaddafi died, his brother died, his friend Heron died, was a big-time gangster in uh, L.A. So, I mean, every time, you know, someone important to him dies, you know, it became like, it, it, it was almost like, I mean, no, death is never comical, but it was almost like, you know, really? You know, there's a point in the book where we say, you know, he says basically, like, what, like by the time so-and-so died, what am I supposed to do, cry? I, I, I don't know what tears left, you know what I mean? Like, what, what can I do, you know what I mean? Um, so, um, yeah, again, he, he really had to experience so much of that, like you said, to really say, okay, because then at that point, if everything is all about death and, you know, he is, everybody he's close to dies, then what's the purpose of life? Yeah. What, 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 you know, what, maybe death is the easier option. You right. know what I mean? You know, somebody start, people start going to that extreme, you know, and, you know, have a suicidal thoughts and things like that um, because they just don't see the value in life, you know? So that was a very critical time for him to be able to, to understand the balance of what's the meaning of death and what's the meaning of life. He, that was a very critical thing for him to try to, you know, to try to uh, navigate, you know, and, you know, over time he was, he was able to, but there, again, there are a lot of people that, that don't. They don't. They don't. They don't make it. They don't. They turn to drugs, and then the drugs push them, pushes them even more to the brink until they ultimately, you know, they ultimately succumb to it, and be, they they either die or they become crazy or they, you know, uh, you know, uh, paralyzed or whatever, you know. So um, it's a very serious uh, thing that people who have loss that they have healthy outlets to deal with that, right. you know, they have because. Also, Gaddafi, he was saying that, you know, Gaddafi, after Pac died, he was out of his mind. He was out of his mind. He was not in his element. He just couldn't. He always, he, he, had, he saw no reason to, to live. He, he, you know, he didn't see the purpose in life. He was always talking about, you know, death is chasing me, you know. Um, and it was difficult for Mutar because 
he's like, I can't help you. I see you going through it, but I, I, I'm, we're in the same boat, you know? And so they basically resorted to just, you know, violence and substance abuse to try to, you know, numb the pain. Um, and that's not always, obviously, that's not always the, the healthy option, you know, that can submerge you into, you know, um, you know, drive you further into, you know, where you're at and you, you want to try to get out, you know, so. Yeah, when so many people start dying around you, right? You, I mean, this isn't good, but what a lot of people start to think is, and I've even had this in my own experience, like, oh, you don't want to then connect with anybody else because they're eventually exactly. going to right. die too, exactly. right? Exactly. right? Exactly. And then, exactly. and then so also, and I kind of want to add to that too. So I just want to make sure that kind of for our audience, right? I, because I mean, I do sometimes sound critical, um, especially when it comes to kind of drug use and sort of alcohol use. So I just kind of want to be clear so that the idea is that when a person is struggling with drug use, sort of, it's not just that the person or that like um, the idea of the concrete consequences of losing people. I'm not, I don't want to sort of make it seem like that's supposed to happen but as like a punishment, right? Because sometimes that's the way sort sure. of it's taken. So it's not so much yeah. as a punishment that like, oh, everybody should leave this person and kind of show like him what's important or what's the right thing to do. It's that that's somewhere in, the, in that kind of um, in that sort of setting, the person realizes that, you know what, like, let's say if we take the context of like Muda's life, right? I, if I had to guess, I obviously I can't know for sure. But if I had to guess, the idea might have been that in the beginning he thought you know what's the point right i'm gonna lose everybody anyway and they're just gonna die and they're just gonna leave me but i'm assuming when people actually did leave him somewhere he got the message they're like no dude we're not leaving you because we don't love you we're not leaving you because life is taking us away from you we're leaving you because of your actions and somewhere probably in the thinking right he realized that wait oh shit i don't have to keep losing people that if i actually start to change and i start to become a kind of um, a more sort of significant member of like our team our community whatever it is if i become let's say What's the word? Exactly. More loving, honestly. If I become more loving to these people who obviously exactly. love me and want to be want me in their exactly. lives, then I can obviously exactly. keep them around, right? I don't have to keep losing people. Yeah, exactly. There's this uh, saying, um, the opposite of, at least in terms of substance abuse, I know that wasn't the only issue, right. but sure. in terms of that, uh, the opposite of addiction, it's not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is mm. connection. Yes. Yeah, so um, the moment that he started I don't know this for a fact. I want to read the book, obviously, and I want to sure, learn about sure. this. But um, obviously, sure. what happened is for him, connection was the way out, whether it was connection to spirituality, to other people. Right. Uh, right. That day he smiled when he, you know, uh, first at the mosque. At the mosque. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. He was, yeah. he was, um, yeah, he, you know, the, the reason why is because, you know, you have to, you have to imagine, like, like you said, like, you know, up until that point, you know, um, his only outlet was destructive things, right? And and he's 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 from the hood, you know. So there's a certain, and I'm from the hood as well, you know. There's a certain um, there's a certain uh, roughness and toughness that you expect, you know. Um, you don't, you know. We all, as human beings, we need love. You know what I mean? We need people to care for us. That's the fundamental um, need for anybody is to feel love and care for. Um, when you are in the hood, it's very rare to get that. You get it from your homies, you get it from certain places, but there's certain places you have to go to get it. You're not just going to get it from the streets. Yeah. Um, when he went to the mosque, he was getting that from everybody. And he's, I don't, he's like, I don't know. These. Like, you know, his first reaction is like, time out. Like, you don't know me. You're smiling at me. You know, do you want something? You know, you're shaking my hand. I don't know you, this and this and that. But it was such a common and repeat, repetitive theme, you know, uh, that day at the mosque. That he was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is really something, you know, uh, you know, this is something incredible. I, I, I'm not used to this, and, you know, I think that was like the, the litmus um, 
uh, you know, or the spark that went off in him to like, you know, okay, well, there are places where I, if I need love, basically, and I need people to to be cool with me, then there are places that I can go for that, um, you know, and uh, and that's that's where I think that was the major one of the major changes in his life. He just found a place where you know there's, you know, it's it's, it's a place of peace, you know, and it's a place of of um, it's a place of uh, you know just genuine. Um, you know, love and care for you, you know. And so, acceptance. And acceptance, exactly. Acceptance. He doesn't, he doesn't have to fight. He doesn't have to be anybody. And he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to fear anything, you know. Yeah, that's really dope. And so kind of also from, um, yeah. I know we touched on post-traumatic growth, but also from an academic standpoint. So another kind yeah. of conversation that you and I had in private was about sort of the intersectionality of the different, obviously, so societal and social issues that were kind of manifested in Muda's story, right? Like in terms of, yeah. well, I don't want to actually, just, can you tell us about it? I don't want to, <laughs> I, I don't want to be the yes. one to, yeah. Go that's for all it. good, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, if you put on like the academic cap, you know, when you write, uh, when I wrote his story, I didn't want it to be like I said. I didn't want it to just be a story of his life because I mean, he, he, I mean that was more than enough. You know, his story of his life is is, is uh, you know amazing. Um, but there was just so many critical things that were going on at the time in America and still go on today. You know, for instance, uh, police brutality. You know, um, the place that he came from in Irvington. You know, there was a huge riot that took place in 1963. Based on police brutality, and I, in my research, I'm looking at this. I'm like, wow, that's. I mean, are we still, we're still talking about the same stuff, you know, to 50 years, you know, 60 years later. Um, there's also, um, like I said, themes of, of uh, mental health. There's themes of entrepreneurship, you know. So you still have you have that idea that yeah, okay, um, you might struggle, like Mutar did, but there is a way out. There's, you still have that American dream where if you apply yourself, and he did, he rapped, you know, he got interested in rapping and he applied himself and look where he, you know, look where he made it out. Um, you know, so you have that theme of entrepreneurship. Uh, you have the, the theme of, of uh, just familial ties and just having strong connections and loyalty, you know, to the people that really love you um, and that will be there for you, you know, and, you know, in times of adversity and times of trauma, those are the people that you turn to, you know, the most and that, you know, you really have to have, um, you know, you really have to, you really have to find people that, you know, will be there for you through thick and thin. Um, yeah. What else was there? Um, and I have a, I have a list of, uh, yeah, spirituality um, and then just historical events. There was a lot of historical things uh, that happened, you know, um, small things, you know, like the, the Tyson fight, um, uh, the Bulls went in the championship in 96, stuff like that, yeah. um, that I just wanted to put in context. So people, you know, it, it's sort of also a nostalgic experience for people who lived during that time. Um, and then also, if you didn't know anything about the 90s, then hopefully this book will put you on track to know exactly what was going on, you know, at the time, you know. So that was the that was the, the, old, the goal and the aim of just having so many different, you know, things for the reader, you know. So, you you know, you might think you're reading about Motal's life, but you can get all these other you know hopefully treasures yeah and so just kind of um because i want to make sure that we're good on time so uh i want to ask a couple of questions from our guys at the o4l online network yeah. so they submitted a few okay. questions yeah because they want to all right so uh my first question is from andy o4l and obviously you guys can find andy on instagram twitter facebook etc so uh he said yeah. so he said being down for Pac 24 7 obviously ready to throw fists and more do you think muda needed to experience everything he has done to get to where he is now 
Um, the, uh, if he, what does he mean in terms of experience? Oh, you mean the loss and the tragedy? Yeah, it's pretty much what my interpretation is that he's saying is that like in terms of the person that he was, that he actually need to have gone through that to have become the person that he is now, right? So mm-hmm. that he need to go through all the tragedy and trauma and obviously also kind of being like the tough guy that he was in order to see a softer, create a softer side in himself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, we, we, we believe everything happens for a reason. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe he, he might not have ever... I mean, you know, he was a he was a prisoner of circumstance. So he grew up in he grew up with things out of his control. So your parents taken away from you, you can't control that, right? Um, so that means you don't have guidance, you know, right from the beginning. You know, you know, you know. Obviously, your grandmother does her best, but you know, you don't have guidance from that standpoint. And then you can't forget also that crack came into the country or hit the scenes at in the 80s, you know, and it hit New Jersey the hardest, you know, so that was something that had a tremendous, you know, impact on him as a person, you know, selling crack at nine years old, 10 years old, you know, because he doesn't have the guidance to help him, you know, understand that it's not, you know. Um, So, yeah, so I definitely believe that he had to have gone through that in order to be the person he is. There's no way that he would have been, um, he would have emerged, you know, as as the person he is now. But the thing is, is that, you know, what I appreciate about about him is that, um, and in some ways, you know, myself as well, um, but him definitely to a, a greater degree, is that he always has that side of him to fall back on. If he needs to be tough, if he needs to rock with somebody, if he, he's, he's got that in the back pocket, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think that's important, you know, because at the end of the day, a person does have to protect himself, you know, or herself, you know. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that you have to live life in a constant perpetual war. Like, war, life is just, life is war. It's not. It's not life is not war. Right. Life is peace. You know, you have to sync up. So that's why we said, you know, that's why I did the thing with the thing is life is not life is raw, but it doesn't have to be, you know, war. Um, so, yeah. So in a lo- in long story short, yeah, I think that he, you know, he, he, he had to go through those things to be the He wouldn't be Napoleon without going through those things. He just wouldn't. Right. And then so and our next question is from Vegas and Vegas is the founder. of okay, her, yeah. yeah. So Vegas yeah. is the founder of O4L online. And obviously yeah. you guys can find sure. Vegas on. Uh, so both Vegas O4L on Facebook and obviously you can find yeah. Vegas on Instagram. And so Vegas's yeah. question was, was the book therapeutic for you in some way, too? And then how? It really was. Um, like I said, man, you know. Uh, Mutal is my boy. He's my man, um, and uh, I love him to death. And you know, I love Pac and Outlaws like that. You know, my friends, um, uh, the Puerto Rican friends that I told you that they they were so diehard Pac fans that they all had bald heads and they had the Outlaw tattoo. Yeah. Well, I was literally I was literally two weeks away from getting the same Outlaw tattoo. I, I, that would have been incredible. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that would have been. We got the same. That would have been incredible. But you know, I had my own life changes to sort of put me on a different path. Um, so for me, again, there was a lot of things at that time that I, I just didn't understand. You know, I'm 16 years old, listening to these guys. I'm witnessing the beef. I see Pac die. I see Biggs die. I don't understand what, you know, you know what happens. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, it was therapeutic just to get clarity on that. It was therapeutic for me to write about this man's life and write it in a way where people will appreciate it. They're not going to say, okay, this is just another story about some rapper who has a crazy you know, degenerate lifestyle and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. You deal with this man as a human being. I will bring my academic tools and write and creative tools and write in a way where the audience has no choice but to, you know, accept, you know, the, 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 you know, the realness of the story, but the beauty of the story. Because, you know, even though this is tragic, there's a lot of beauty, you know, involved. And I, I was very, very uh, honored to, that he chose me to to present that you know uh, to you know to the world basically, and I'm the type of person 
if you know Suleiman Jenkins, you know, I'm the type of person I'm not going to do anything halfway. You know, I'm going to do it to the fullest. Yeah. So, you know, I, and I can't let him down. So I can't put out a book. My name is on it. And it's about his life and it's going to be his garbage. You know, that, that's not going to work. So for me, it was just, you know, it was just an amazing experience, man, to just, you know, to just go through that. And then at the same time, still, you know, hold true to my nature, which is, you know, academics, you know. Yeah. And so and before we kind of go, I also want to focus on a little bit about your background in research. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. yeah. In academia. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm a researcher. Uh, I have, you know, that's my first and foremost um, in occupation, I'm a professor of English here in Saudi. Um, and yeah, basically, you know, um, I have I've been fortunate to go to uh, some very prestigious schools and learn, you know, academic tools of, of research. And the idea was that we did I did a program called Prep for Prep 9. I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's from New York. Uh, it's from New York. It's a, it's a, a program that takes gifted minority students and prepares them for academic study in America's top uh, boarding schools. Oh, wow. So schools like Exeter, Andover, I went to St. Andrews, there's Deerfield, there's Cho, all these other, you know, just unbelievable schools. Um, and you can't imagine a dude from Brooklyn, you know, I go to a school like this, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere, nothing but green and grass. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? But at the same time, learning, I'm learning about Shakespeare. I'm learning about, you know, Chaucer. I'm learning about Mark Twain. You know, you're studying, you know, all types of trigonometry, algebra. You know what I mean? So I'm like, wow, this is really, this is really amazing. The idea with Prep for Prep 9 was that you gain these tools to give back, yeah. right? So to give back to people who don't have the voice that maybe, or don't have, yeah, they, don't, they have the story, but they don't have the voice to project that story. So my research is basically based around that. So, you know, in English language teaching, there's a lot of, you know, discriminatory things that happen, um, you know, um, you know, certain policies that are enacted based on people's, you know, definition of what, you know, English speaker is or American is, you know, whatever. Um, so I use my voice to be like, no, that's not cool. No, not that. No, you're, what you're saying is, is whack. And, and yeah, I don't, I might be from Brooklyn, but I'm going to talk to you in a way, in a language that you can understand, you know. Um, and so that is my primary uh, objective is to provide a voice for people um, about sensitive issues, you know, for people that otherwise wouldn't have the, you know, they wouldn't have that voice, you know. So, um, you know, this book it's like that's like the biggest project that I've ever, you know, had. It's just about 270 pages. Like I said, about 125 sources. We have 237 reference points, you know, just different places that we took from, you know. So by far, it's the biggest thing I've ever done. Um, but I have, you know, you can just you can type my name on internet. You'll see I have a Google Scholar profile. I've done a lot, a lot of other articles, written for Oxford University Press, uh, written book chapters, you know, and you know. I'm a nerd in that in that kind of you know in that kind of sense you know what I mean but don't get it twisted I'm from Brooklyn so you know don't, 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 get, don't get it twisted you know, but just being you know just because you're from that experience doesn't mean you have to be ignorant you know so um, you know I want to share with the world with my story you know as well and I want to be able to share other people's stories in a way that like I said they can appreciate. Yeah. And do you have like a a process for when you're writing? Because I know a lot of writers sometimes they have a ritual. Like sometimes they'll they'll write right when they get up in the morning, or they get up at a certain time, or some people write at night, or some people have different like uh, habits and rituals for writing. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. It actually depends on the type of writing I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So if it's like real academic, nerdy, you know, type stuff, which the, the Mutaz book wasn't. Uh, yeah, I have to have a certain set time. I got a whole stack of books like this. And, you know, yeah, I get up first thing in the morning. I go with Motal's book, man. It was, it, it, you know, you talk about therapy. It was therapeutic because it, it's academic, but it's 
it's creative first and foremost. Mm. With academia, you're really restricted in what you can say, what you can't say. You don't have any, there's no room for creativity. Right. Whereas Motaz, it was just, I mean, just whatever I thought, I just write it and then go back and change it. And if I need to find something, you know, some information to uh, support it, then I'll go and find that information. But really it was creative. So there really was no, it was basically like, okay, I'm getting up and I'm going to write and, you know, you know, I might take a break. I might go out to do something. But as I'm as I'm going out to do something, I got the book on my mind. What am I, you know, thinking about themes? I literally be up in the morning. I mean, be up in the middle of the night. And be like, damn, that's a nice idea. I would take out my, my note eight, you know, and write the notes, you know, on it while I'm there. And then go back to sleep and be like, I got to make sure I get back to that. You know, so the, so the creative process was just really, it was really, um, it was really something, you know, it was really something special. You know, I spent about literally about maybe nine to ten hours a day. Wow. And I have a job, you know, I have a regular job, you know, um, but it, on top of that, about nine to 10 hours a day for about four months straight, just immersed in the book, you know, it, it, just, it just took on, it took on, took over my life, you know, and it was, you know, I just, I just had to finish it, you know, and, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing process. And, you know, sometimes obviously like, um, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I know sometimes kind of from where we come from, right, we get the sense that we kind of don't belong, right, or we feel like imposters. So, and obviously yeah. I just kind of want you to know from my perspective, man, the reason why we had you on the show is because we feel like you definitely belong in academia. Like, this is you, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. What it, I mean, it's, it's all I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all, I hear you. And at the same time, too, you know, I mean, that's one of my challenges is that, you know, people see me on the outside and they're like, okay, he's a black guy, he's this and this and that, you know. He's from, you know, I, you know, I wear a hat, you know, I wear baggy stuff, you know, okay, you know, we can't take this guy seriously. He's like, no, don't, 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 you know what I mean? Don't think that, you know, you should never underestimate somebody because you never know what they're holding. Um, and just because somebody dresses a certain way or talks a certain way, you should also not, again, underestimate. If I need to, if I need to talk to somebody like I'm back from Brooklyn, then I would talk to them, you know, like I'm back from Brooklyn. And that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, uh, changing the game or anything. No, I'm just talking to a person on a level that they can understand me. What's the benefit of talking to somebody with this high level of academia when they're not going to understand anything I'm saying? And at the same time, why have a, you know, like, for instance, a podcast like this, you know, talk like I'm back in Brooklyn when the audience, you know, you guys, you know, you can, you can, you crave a lot more and you, you can digest a lot more. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, the whole thing is, is, you know, basically, you know, you can have many identities, you know, and that all makes you, it all, it's all part of you, you know what I mean? And I'm from Brooklyn, I'll stay Brooklyn, you know, to the day I die, but at the same time, I have a voice, I've gained academic tools, and that, these tools I want to project to the world, mm-hmm. let them know what, you know, what it's like, you know, this is, this is another, this is a black guy from Brooklyn, yeah. you know, Muslim, you know, what, what you got to say about th- this, you know, yeah. you know, whatever you want to say in the news about black people or Muslims, uh, look at, look at this, you know, what, what do you have to say here, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so the- I appreciate you bringing me on. Absolutely, Absolutely. Man. and so and plus, academia's dirty secret is much of what they write or what they say can actually be said in simple terms. Like if you, ca- yeah, it's like, and I'm sure you had this experience where you're like going through Absolutely. journals and you're like, yo, man, this could have been simplified, and this could have exactly. just been, yeah. yeah, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different podcast. All right, man. So obviously, so before we go, Alan, any final questions? Oh yeah, if we wanted to follow your work online, uh, where where could we follow you? Uh, well, you can follow. I have, uh, you know, we have my Instagram, uh, so at Suleiman Jenkins, and then I also have Twitter uh, at Suleiman Jenkins. Um, the Twitter is more academically uh, based, so you'll find a lot more articles, and you know, um, and then also Google Scholar. You know, just uh, Google Scholar. Uh, just type in my name. You'll have a profile, and you can find all my latest Absolutely. publications uh, there. And then LinkedIn as well. But LinkedIn, 
Yeah, LinkedIn, I have a, a lot of my publications there. Yep. Okay, dope. Thank you so much for coming on, man. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's my pleasure, man. Hopefully, you know, hopefully it was enjoyable and beneficial, and you know, uh, I appreciate you, and hope you know, hope we could do it again, and hopefully after the book. Oh, after you read it, yeah. and then you you know we can have some sort of discussions. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow, yeah, absolutely. that would actually be a good idea. Maybe we can have the both of you on at the same time to talk about it. Absolutely. That'd be dope. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right, man. All right, obviously. Meet you guys. All right, man. You too, man. All right, talk soon. Yeah, you too. Right. Take care. Right. Peace. Wow. All right. That was awesome. Yeah, that was cool. so fun, man. So, as usual, uh, <laughs> to our audience, if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Seize underscore Podcast on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like, subscribe, do Hit it the now. Bell. Hit the bell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then also, obviously, you guys can find us at the O4L Online Network under the Seize the... Well, actually, no. I always mess this up. Under the STM Podcast section, and we have kind of all of our episodes there. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty much with everything else. Hip-Hop News, All Eyes on Tupac, my own blog there, so you guys can find us there. And just before we go, one final plug. Um, so are you stressed that you can't leave the house to keep up with the routine, fighting with chronic conditions such as diabetes and hypertension, having trouble coming up with healthy ways to feed the family or simply need that support system set up to make you feel like your goals are real or to make your goals a reality mm -hmm. so vera with verified nutrition offers a free 15-minute consultation on her website at v-e-r-a-f-i-e-d-n-u-t-r-i-t-i-o-n.com you can read more about her individual journey her experiences send her a message check out her blog page and the services she offers and make the choice to get verified <laughs> and guys see you next time uh for episode 52 episode thank 52. you so much for watching uh we're gonna have brooklyn borough president eric adams on so look forward to that see you <laughs>